Hello and welcome to On The Ledge podcast. It's time to sit back, relax and let the On The Ledge vibe wash over you. I'm Jane Perone, the British houseplant expert, journalist, garden writer and chief cook and bottle washer here at On The Ledge Towers in the fine county of Bedfordshire. This is episode 164 and I will be chatting this week to the force of nature that is Travis Cooper aka Plants to Coop on Instagram, the creator of the hashtag Plants and Poses. He's also a dancer and choreographer and a jolly nice man. And in our wide-ranging chat we cover everything from plant purges and why they're a difficult but great thing. Why posing with your plants is something you really must do. And which anthurium Travis recommends for first-time growers. And I'll also be answering a question about the orientation of your house. Intriguing, eh? Thank you to Sarah for becoming a crazy plant person this week. And to Henriette, who upgraded from legend to superfan. And in my office right now, there's a massive stack of envelopes, labels cardboard tubes, cards and more as I put together the Patreon offering that's going out early next month. So if you're a Patreon subscriber at the legend or superfan level, start watching your mailbox or letterbox with great attention because something will be coming, I would like to say hopefully the first week of December from my good self. I apologise in advance for my hideous handwriting. And you've just about got time to sign up and get that special festive mail out. You need to sign up as a superfan or a legend by the end of play, that's midnight, my time, UK time, on the 23rd of November, which is Monday, so not much time. That's in order to guarantee that you'll get the mail out. If you join after that, I will try to get it out to you if I can, but I can't guarantee it because as you can imagine, writing about 200, (laughs) about 200 mail outs is quite a lot of work. So please bear with me on that. For all the details about my Patreon offering, do check out the show notes where you'll find the links and information you need. And a quick correction before we dive into my interview with Travis. I mentioned a new plant from my plant hall from the BCSS member who was downsizing their collection. And I called it Euphorbia platygona. And I said it was embodying the spirit of 2020. Well, it is in fact Euphorbia platyclada. I did actually know that somewhere in my brain, but I went with the label that I had, which was actually wrong. So uh, I will correct that in last week's show notes. And I might actually, I don't know if I'll correct the actual episode or not. But anyway, just letting you know, Euphorbia platyclada is that stick-like succulent that I was talking about in last week's show. Nobody mentioned it, so I guess uh, perhaps nobody was too bothered. But I do like to try to get these names right. One of the wonderful things about making this show is just being able to message somebody and say, hey, let's have a chat. And by the wonder of On The Ledge podcast, it happens. And I just loved chatting to my guest this week, Travis Cooper. He is such an interesting guy. Our conversation went all over the place. It got a little bit confessional at one point from me, not Travis. (laughs) And so I want to run it in full and uninterrupted here on the show. 
and I'll follow on with the Q&A to wrap up this episode. Please, please, please do go and check out Travis's Instagram account while you listen, because if you're not already a follower of his, then it will make a lot more sense if you're looking at his posts and seeing the kind of thing that he does, his whole plants and poses hashtag, and also his work with the melanin fairy, which is what we're going to be finding out about in this episode. So do go and check out at plants de coop that's plants d-e-c-o-o-p as you listen and of course as usual the show notes are a fount of information so do click on those and have a look through those as you're listening too so yeah my name is travis i am not only a lover of plants but even more so recently starting to really feel my connection to them. So I said this the other day, actually, I said to someone I was doing a consultation and at the end I was talking about how our awareness of our plants is probably the most important part of plant care. And I said, well, everything comes from the earth and goes back to the earth. So we are plants and plants are us. (laughs) Yes, I like it. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I have been loving your presence on YouTube and on Instagram for quite a few months now. I can't remember exactly when I came across you, but... What I really love about what you in particular do is you bring so much joy to showing off your plants. And I think this is something that particularly a certain slice of the Instagram population could learn a lot from because I hear from so many people that, oh, like I'm really comfortable showing pictures of my plants, but I don't really want to to take a picture of myself. And I just love the freedom with which you are able to express yourself with your plants. So that's a starting point for us perhaps to talk about plants and poses. How did that that kick off and what does that mean to you? Oh, I love this question. So plants and poses, it started back, I'd say once I first created my account, I did a very similar thing as most people did. Uh, You show your plants, you maybe show your hand in your plant, but that's it. And It didn't take much time for me to realize that there was something more that I wanted to do with it. I'm a trained dancer and a trained yoga instructor and dance teacher and just general lover of movement and always have been. And so it just felt natural for me at some point to get in front of the camera and play with what it would be like for me to create these shapes um, while also highlighting certain plants. And so really plants and poses was started off as just a way for me to be creative in a way that felt really good for me. And what I noticed is that while it was getting a lot of great feedback, I had this sense that people wanted to, by what they were saying, wanted to do the same thing, but didn't know how or felt like maybe it was going to be stepping on my toes as I was kind of creating this thing. And so I then started the hashtag um, and even made this little slide on uh, one of my posts to talk about what it is so that people could maybe feel a bit more comfortable getting in front of the camera, being creative and just showing the beauty of our own physical bodies with these beautiful plants that we love. Yeah, that's a really great message to get across, because I think so many people are just uncomfortable with themselves 
physically and don't really like to look at themselves. And I think the same is true with our voices. I know that when I started on the ledge, as I said in my last episode, I really didn't like the sound of my own voice, which I'm sure lots of listeners will find surprising because I get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, I love your voice. But at the time, I really had a problem with my voice. And it took me many years of hearing myself in interviews to really come to terms with it and actually love it myself. So it's it's a really powerful thing, isn't it? And that freedom is something that we should be taking full advantage of. And that's what you do so well. Tell me a bit about your plant collection. Are you are you an aroid uh, addict or is there, is there a particular kind of plant that floats your boat? Yeah, as time has gone on, I definitely have become more of an aroid addict. And what it is, it's it's something about seeing how much they change over time, how much the leaves change and get bigger uh, as they mature. Uh, but don't get me wrong, I have a ton of, I love snake plants. There's something about a plant that is just loyal and resilient. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Aeroids, I'd say, is, is where my passion and drive is. And there are also so many other plants that I do adore. Well, that's good to hear. And has this been something of a recent passion or have you been uh, into plants since you were tiny? I would say that there's always been a connection, right? There's always been this connection to plants. From a young age, I can remember the feeling uh, of being outside, of getting interested in plants growing in the ground and, and trees and whatnot. And I would say I didn't really dig into that more until I was an adult and it was April of 2019. So it's been about a year and a half at this point that I've really started to collect plants, if you will. And you've recently had a bit of a plant purge. How painful has that been? Or is it still ongoing? I mean, this is a common thing now. People <laughs> get loads of these plants and then perhaps for different reasons decide to divest themselves of a few. But what's been, what I was impressed about with your plant purge was that it was right, really well organised. Like you had it worked out exactly what you were going to do and you exact, you knew exactly what your parameters were um, and how you're going to do things. And I thought that was really great because it made it very clear for people who were interested and, you know, uh, but has it been painful to separate yourself from some of these plants? Oh, that's 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 so funny because I've said this several times as I've been purging. It's been relieving a bit, actually. My choice for letting go of these plants is is for a much bigger purpose. I still love my plants. I'm only keeping sheesh about 20 out of over 100 (laughs) and it's been a relief realizing that oh okay I don't only have to give my attention to 20 plants now and I can appreciate and really fully invest in these 20 right now it's also been really sweet every time I've seen someone take a picture with these plants that I've spent so much time with it's been so sweet for me to see that and know that this life will get to go on in someone else's care, whatever that may look like, right? Whether they kill it or it thrives for 20 years, right? And then I would say there is a part of me that has had a hard time letting some go, but the intention was for me to really, in a larger way, let go of unnecessary things right now in my life. And so it's been really interesting to see the ones that I've had this kind of tug of war with, like, do I really want to let this go? And so that would I say have been the only struggle is the ones that I've really had to decide, okay, it actually is best for me to let this go. 
uh, even though there's a part of me that may want to hold on, um, if I'm going to continue to practice this letting go, I think it's best to let maybe this plant go. Yeah, it's it's a powerful thing. I think giving away plants or selling plants, whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, it makes you really think about what that plant means to you and your ability to look after things. There is a real collectors vibe going on at the minute where there there is a sort of thing of I've got to get every one every species of this genus I've got to, I've got to complete my collection there's always another plant on my wish list which is is fantastic and you know me more than anyone else can say I am have fallen prey to that many times but there is a kind of a darker underside to that of people causing themselves a lot of stress and and possibly expense by seeking after the next hit the next plant hit rather than enjoying the plants they've got i mean is, do you think there's something in that oh 100% and i like you i've fallen victim to this and i speak about this pretty openly oftentimes to people uh so that maybe it can be normalized and so that we're not you know falling victim to this and then feeling ashamed of it, therefore not being able to truly see it for what it is and possibly do something about it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that Instagram itself, right? Like when you have something that is constantly in your face, informing you, it's not just what we may like to think, like, you know, coming into our mind and then disappearing. It's, it's, it's taking up space in there. And the more that we see it, I think we're more prone to, fall into this this trap of greed. And so, yeah, I think there's something there. And I think, honestly, we can continue to talk more openly about it because, as we'll see, a lot of the prices right now are kind of outrageous for plants. And a lot of that has to do with greed, right? That people not actually maybe pausing and seeing, do I want to pay this outrageous price just because I have it? What's the larger effect of, of me just because I have the resources buying this plant, right? There are much more there are ripple effects that are happening that if we don't take a moment to pause and check in, affect the masses more than maybe we recognize. And this was something you kind of relates to your own plant purge in that you indicated in your information that you were going to prioritize uh, black and indigenous people of color as purchasers of these plants because for reasons we we should all know about, but perhaps don't, historically disadvantaged group that you want to kind of like allow them to be, come to the first top of the queue. There seems to be a fantastic community built up around black plant owners. Is that has that been a source of support and joy over the last few months and the the, the tricky time that, that the uh, America has had? Oh yes. Oh my goodness, yes. I did not expect to have such a sense of community um, with Black people and plants as I've ended up having. When I first joined this Plantstagram, if you will, I didn't really see anybody like me. And that was actually, that looked like me, that was actually part of the reason that I decided to get in front of the camera is because I didn't see anybody who looked like me. And I wanted to let people know that Black people do this as well. And over the course of time, from the time I started my Plantstagram, which was October 23rd, 2019, I'm pretty sure, from that time, moving up to when the Black Lives Matter uprising happened, 
I discovered there was a whole slew of us out there. And one thing that I have found a lot of gratitude in is that around the times that the uprising started, there was this community coming together of the black plant community. I think just in general, this happened, but there was this really coming together in a way so of, of us to support each other. Um, Cause there was this, you know, while there were, there are thousands of us out there, why is it so difficult to find us? Right. And so the idea not to speak for other people, but what it's felt like to me is that if we come together in masses, we can more collectively be seen and do something. And so the Black Plant community, honestly, has been such a huge support for me. I never expected to feel so welcomed. And the Black Plant community has been the biggest source um, of feeling like a part of this plant community that I've experienced so far. That's the wonderful thing about plants is that you know, there will be a group of people who fit your demographic who are also like plants, you know, so wherever you are at, you'll find your people and make a wonderful community. That is the the wonderful thing uh, about it. Is there a sense of positivity going through um, the, the Black House Plant community as more podcasts emerge, more more hashtags emerge, more Instagram posts emerge that kind of like you're coming together and something great's happening. You know, I can't speak for everyone else, but what I can say is that this sense of community and coming together amongst the Black community, the Black plant community has definitely, I think, just created a support for each other that has allowed us to for me, I'll say this. I felt so confident in creating and releasing things that are, that I'm passionate about as it refers to plants because I 100% know that if nothing else, I have the black plant community to back me and say, yes, keep going. And so I think if anything, I don't know if positive is the word, right? Um, but I would say that there's definitely a, a sense of support and grounding that has uh, that, that I feel is stronger than it was prior to the Black Lives Matter uprising. I'm always wondering, uh, looking wonder at my plants and just I'm amazed by the level of decoration and adornment that so many plants are able to do. Has that inspired your your own looks that you've chosen for plants and poses. It literally is this amazing outpouring of confidence and beauty and style that is mirroring back on your plants, which I absolutely love. Does that, sorry, that's a really rambling question, but does any of that make any sense or resonate whatsoever? Yes, yes, it does. So I haven't done it recently, um, but I used to do this and I can even do it right now. I'm sitting right in front of my plants where I'll look at my plant and just take in the beauty of it, right? There's so many plants that I can look at that I, when I just really pause and look at them, I'm like, holy crap, this is absolutely gorgeous. And then what I do is I'll go, well, if I'm a part of the earth, that's in me as well. So what I'm feeling right now, what I'm experiencing right now is also within me. And so what I would say is with my plants and poses, 100%, because just the fact that I take moments like that with my plants, there's no way that that couldn't spill over into a project that is my body with these plants. And 
to be more specific, there are moments, for instance, like I have a picture on my Instagram with a philodendron pink princess. Yes, I was I was just looking at that. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I don't own that plant and I, I just it's gorgeous. Have you have you purged that one or is it still with you? Um I have purged a piece of it and I'm gonna <gasps> purge another piece of it tonight. <laughs> and then wow. I'm gonna also keep a piece for myself because I really do enjoy that plant. But yeah, for instance that picture with that plant, it was definitely the look was inspired by that plant. Uh, if you see another project that I've been working on recently, there's a lot of like deep green and deep blues in the fabric that I'm wearing. And you'll see me with a, with a, with a regal, an Ethereum regal, right? That very much mimics those uh, same colors and feeling tones. I think that one of the wonderful things about what you do is that you just take that almost childhood spirit of dressing up and playing and bring it into an adult realm. And as somebody who's a classic English person and a little bit reserved, I've, I, it's very inspiring, but also a bit scary to me. And it reminds me of when I was a teenager. And I'm going to tell you something now that I don't think I've ever told anybody. When I was a teenager, I really, really wanted for about six months to have a waistcoat with one of those Victorian pocket watches with the chain and everything. And I really like, I don't know why, but I really had this desire to dress up in that. And of course, I never did it because I was a reserved English teenager who was a complete dork. So I never did it. But I think back to that and think, I wonder how my life would have been different had I felt the confidence just to go, you know what? I'm a teenager. I can just I can do whatever I like. I'm going to get myself a pocket watch and a waistcoat and I'm going to try it. It makes me wonder what how my life might have been different had I had that freedom to express myself at that age the question that comes up for me is how what would your life be like how would it be different if you did that right now <laughs> that's a really good question you know what how i express myself now is through brooches like i have a big brooch collection i don't know if you saw before the video went off today i'm wearing a really big sparkly spider brooch which long story but was kind of it's kind of a political statement actually um here in the UK anyway I'll put a link to it in the show notes if anyone wants to have a look at it so I kind of express myself through those brooches so like every day I'm always wearing a brooch and it'll always be different and I mean it's very low-key I mean it's not a dramatic thing but I have become a little bit bolder I think in my dress but you're right why not embrace it now I'm not sure I'd still want to do the waistcoat and pocket watch thing yeah, you're right. Why not just try to do something different and allow maybe plants to be an inspiration in that? I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think, it, you know, what comes up for me is creativity when we are younger, before the world gets a hold of us, if we will. It's just natural, right? It just flows through us. It just happens. And then we start to uh, have all of these things that we trying to check all these boxes based on what we've learned that we're supposed to be. And it, it can easily dumb down our creativity. And part of why I did Plants and Poses is because it's pretty much going to be all adults that would come across my page and my work. And I wanted to offer the invitation for people as adults to go, oh, I can be creative still too. Just because I'm not a kid anymore doesn't mean I'm not creative. I always have access to creativity. It just, it, it'll just look a lot different than when I was younger. And I just really am, I'm so passionate about creativity, especially in adults, because 
we're, we're expected to be so serious, right? There's something that as we get older, we're supposed to just drop the playfulness, the fun. And it's like we're trying to live on one side of, uh, of our being, right? When we are, we are so expansive. There's so much happening within us and we're supposed to live this like one side of us. And so for me, creativity opens up this new realm that I think actually informs the other parts of us in a new way if we allow space for that creativity. That's so true. And I would also credit the, I think in the last few years, the LGBTQIA plus community has had an amazing impact on everybody else, if I can, if I can put it that way in teaching us about how we can play with our style, can incorporate all of these things into our daily lives and enjoy uh, expressing that. I think that's been, that's come across in so many things that have, have come uh, into our understanding that we might not have ever seen before. And I think that's a really, that for me is a really, really powerful thing. This leads us on to the Melanin Fairy. I've been watching your Instagram post with great interest, building it up. You've been teasing us and building it up. <laughs> what can you tell us about this amazing new project? And I mean, these stunning photographs um, that you have taken. I'm fascinated by the jewelry that you're wearing. And also you've got various plants featuring uh, that that wonderful anthurium Please tell me that's staying in your collection. 100%. <laughs> I couldn't let it go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this project, oh my goodness. It definitely has become much bigger than I thought it was going to be. Uh, when I first thought of this idea, it was it was after a friend was talking to me and I had been doing these plants and poses, photo shoots for a while. And I'd never really gone into a photo shoot with an extensive concept. Uh, I usually would go in with a loose idea and kind of let the moment guide me once I started photographing, changing, adding different plants, taking different plants out, adding different rings or sunglasses, and just really playing in the moment. But after talking to this friend, they said, oh, I really miss doing photo shoots um, that were conceptual. I always had so much fun. And then I went, huh, what, what would it look like if I really spent time conceptualizing a photo shoot and went in with a very specific idea? I was like, let me just sit down and see what comes out. And so I took my notes out on my iPhone and I just let my, my, my mind run. And the first thing that came out was the melanin fairy. And I had no idea what that really meant, but I was like, I just see this as a thing for myself. I don't know what that would look like, but that sounds awesome. Fast forward to the actual conception of the project, what I learned was that this was a part of me that as a kid and even leading into my adult life and even currently is with me, it was this feminine energy that's a natural part of all of us that had been suppressed, that this character through my mind in that moment was really just wanting that part of myself to just speak to say this feminine energy has a place here. And maybe through this character, we can allow that energy to come forward and we can explore what that means. And even after knowing that, what it's actually helped me come up against is the way that I have embodied the word feminine and feminine energy based on what society has taught me. And really what this project is, is now in addition to this beautiful art that I've created, it's 
a project that on my Instagram through storytelling and questions that I'm asking to everyone else and a conversation I'm going to have on my IG live with a friend of mine about this. It's investigating what feminine and masculine are. And what does that look like inside of us? How important is it to actually know them within ourselves? Or is it that we actually, you know, maybe defining them isn't important. So it's just all these questions that I'm really starting to come up against that this project has has brought to me that I didn't expect when I was just sitting down going, oh, Melanin Fairy, write it down. It's amazing. I love the jewellery that you're wearing. Um, my sister is a jewellery designer, so I have to sort of mention this kind of thing because I'm sure she'll be listening and interested. Was that designed by somebody for you or where did that come from? So the jewellery itself was actually, so I had a stylist on the project and a seamstress. The seamstress made uh, the like tunic dress kind of garment and then the stylist actually found the jewelry and bought it from somewhere from different places it looks like it's been made specially for this project so well done to the stylist it's just absolutely amazing he's amazing <laughs> one thing that occurred to me while you were talking about sexuality and i was having a discussion with my daughter the other day my teenage daughter which kind of, she said afterwards you've blown my mind we were talking about um sexual reproduction in plants and I was explaining to her that and I actually got a book out that explained this because she was just so blown away I was explaining to her that you know some plants are female some plants only have female flowers some plants only have male flowers some plants some species have male and female some species have bisexual flowers and also a male and female flowers or just one or just the other she was going whoa whoa i can't believe yes. this she was blown away and i think that's a really interesting thing that ties into what you're doing here and is so hidden because obviously like a flower is just a big old sex sign, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, but yes. But we sort of, we've, I think we've still got this Victorian mentality about plants that it's all kind of like all hidden away. We're not going to talk about that. But of course, that's um, all going on in there. Right. What I'm hearing as you say that is that if we as human beings would just look out in nature, it would give us all the answers, right? It's these limited beliefs that we tend to have about how we're supposed to be as human beings, but there's so much fluidity in nature, right? And if we can acknowledge that we are a part of this, then we can look at nature and it teaches us so much about how we actually operate and what is true within our bodies that maybe these limited beliefs um, are keeping us from really noticing. It's one of the reasons, you know, why I'm kind of always a bit disappointed that more houseplant people aren't into flowering houseplants because, you know what, there's, some, I mean, I've just got a, a, a Paphio pedalum orchid that's flowering and you just look at this flower and it's like raw sexuality going on there it's like this big meaty <laughs> lime green flower and it's just like wow looking at the different parts of the flower and how it's put together is just really amazingly inspiring so yeah more more flowering plants please that's what i would say <laughs> <laughs> and where will you be taking the melanin fairy is it sort of are you finding your way with this or do you have a real a, a planned path that you're following it's not planned I'm really letting it guide me <laughs> I'm like, as I'm learning things about what this project is really teaching me. I'm letting that guide where this goes. Uh, I don't know where this is going to end up. And yeah, I, I like it that way. Uh, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off of me having to 
produce something that is perfectly finished and thought out. It's actually just letting this moment guide me because obviously there's more to it than I even realized from the beginning. So if I just continue to let it guide me, it's going to unfold in a way that um, maybe can't be thought out. That just has to happen on its own time. I'm very much trusting the process right now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure also that you're getting feedback from people on Instagram, which might be also, you know, adding thoughts to what you're you're doing and giving you more ideas and that wonderful kind of feedback loop that you get when you do engage with a, a community. 100%. Every time I pose a question um, that I have posed a question in the caption of these pictures during this project, oh my gosh, I'm getting so many awesome responses that are taking me further into investigation within myself. And then it will inform the way that I caption the next post and what I choose to do even after that. So yeah, definitely a feedback loop that's been really more of a community project than I realized too. It's actually very informed by the people who are uh, participating in this. Now, can we just talk about Begonia Luxurians? Oh, so pretty. Can we share the pain, though? I don't know whether you've oh. been struggling with this. Mine, I had a really big one last summer and it went down like a lead balloon over the winter. Oh. It's gone. It's a beautiful plant, but it's so hard. Have you had any success keeping one alive long term? Jane, it's dead. Oh, you it see, I, I feel better. I feel better oh, now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It breaks my heart because it is absolutely stunning. And I just could not figure out how to keep it happy. Ugh. Begonia in general, honestly, though, I have, I struggle with begonias. I do as well. In fact, somebody's just sent me a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, pink spotty begonia. And I'm looking at it going, oh, God, the pressure is here to keep this going. Um, I've managed, <laughs> I've got some, like my beefsteak begonia is my like real you know, OG begonia, which is just so easy. But yeah, I'm, I've got different struggles going on all the time. But I'm, I have to say, I'm kind of glad you said yours is dead because it's so, it's just, it's, <laughs> I feel like I just don't know what I could have done wrong because it was just such a big plant and it was doing so well. And then disaster but you know you've got to keep trying and I guess this is tying into uh, the vulnerability but also the kind of keep on keeping on mentality that you know, we need to adopt when we're traveling through life and also through our plant ownership. I love that. I love that. Because uh, if we look out at nature, it's going to keep on going whether we as human beings are here or not, right? It keeps on going. And so what a great reminder that that, that resiliency is actually built into us as, as part of the earth. So yeah, I love that, Jane. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's ups and downs, isn't it? I mean, there have to be ups and downs. I'm currently panicking because it's going to be really cold here tonight and I've got to go out to my greenhouse and try and bring in a few more tender plants that need to come inside. And <laughs> it's it's a constant battle. You're in North Carolina. What's the climate like there? How do your plants, do you have a lot of stuff inside to help your plants get through the winter in terms of grow lights and propagators or heat mats or anything? Absolutely. Uh, so my story... I've not heard anybody else's like it, though I'm sure there are people um, who have a similar story. When I first started caring for plants, it was in an apartment that only had north-facing windows and there were major obstructions outside. So when I would take out uh, a light meter and I turn all the lights off and just measure the foot candles, I would get... If, I, if my plant were pressed up against the window at the peak of the day, it was like 
150 foot candles, 200 foot candles, which is very low. That's, that's still, that's like low light at that point. So I still wanted to grow plant, wanted to grow plants. So I ended up investing in grow lights, a lot of grow lights. So my journey with plants actually started with grow lights for the first year. So when I moved into a place where there was a lot of natural light, I was like, oh, I don't like this. I can't control the light outside. (laughs) I don't like it changes throughout the year and I don't have as much control over it. And so, yes, I have a lot of grow lights still. I'm currently in my plant room and I'm surrounded by grow lights and humidifiers and a little mini indoor greenhouse. So really, my plants, for the most part, keep on going throughout the winter, uh, almost as if nothing has changed because of the the extra controlled conditions that I give them. Now, people are always looking for grow light recommendations, uh, which I can't give Americans because I'm obviously in a different continent. So what, what grow lights do you have and which ones do you swear by? Uh, I would say the ones that I swear by the most, it's a company called Monios L. It's M-O-N-I-O-S dash L. And I actually got mine off of Amazon. Uh, they're long uh, bars that I hang on shelves. And those I have, I think at this point, like 20 of them <laughs> around my plant room. Uh, those I swear by. And then there are also just some great grow bulbs that can work really well. I can't remember the name of it. If it's okay, I could give it to you afterwards if you wanted to put in the show notes. It's it's interesting how much it changes if you get a different apartment or house with uh, different windows and different orientation. It really does change everything, doesn't it? And suddenly, as you say, it's not so controllable anymore. I'm just considering cutting down a tree which is dying anyway and thinking how much it's going to affect the light in my greenhouse and I'm going to have to put up some some shading because it's going to take away the shade. And yeah, there's so much to think about, isn't there? But you're right. A light meter is a is a good thing to have to hand when you're trying to uh, trying to get a grip on what plants you can grow and what's going to work. I mean, you're you're also as well as your wonderful plants and poses, you've got a practical edge, too. And you've obviously been really killing it with your wonderful uh, gorgeous aroids any aroid care tips what's your you seem to use have a nice line in terracotta pots do you prefer potting in terracotta and have you got any particular tips on on those gorgeous aroids yeah i would definitely say for me terracotta or orchid pots are my go-to now i know people who can grow aroids in plastic or glazed pots but for me i am the king of overwatering i tend to i tend to overparent so really the terracotta pots and orchid pots are for me and my style of uh, plant parenting <laughs> the biggest thing for me and this once again is partially because of my heavy hand in watering but i love a really chunky substrate that maybe I have to water more frequently, but really gives the roots a lot of space to breathe. And my roots usually go off in my plants, I think because of how much air they have. So for me, it's usually a mixture of coconut chips, uh, charcoal, some sort of bark, and sphagnum moss. And that usually keeps my aeroids nice and happy. And for anthuriums, what I've noticed, a friend of mine told me this, and I've tried it on, and there seems to be some truth to it, is that with my anthuriums, specifically the velvety ones, uh, oftentimes they are 
told to get indirect, bright indirect light. And I've loaded, notice if I go more on like the medium close to low light spectrum, they give me bigger leaves faster. And a friend of mine told me is uh, from some of the old heads, if you will, old growers that he talked to is that the idea is if they're getting like just enough light, they'll produce bigger leaves so that they can photosynthesize better on a larger surface area. Whereas if they're getting a perfect amount of light, they won't usually produce as big of leaves. So I've kind of found that to be true. Not kind of. I have found that to be true thus far in my experience. So that's something else that I think is kind of a fun tip, especially for anthuriums. That's a great tip. I mean, I don't own, do I own any anthuriums? <laughs> I, I got, no, I don't. I'm just trying to remember if I've forgotten anything. I don't own any anthuriums. That's, if you could suggest one anthurium for me as a non-anthurium owner to start with, what would you recommend? Oh, I love this question. Uh, I would say anthurium vici. Oh, yeah. That, that was my first anthurium and I put it in a plastic pot with very dense soil and it's still alive. It's been very, very forgiving. I feel confident that I have watered it too soon. I feel confident that I've waited too long. I feel confident that I haven't given it a ton of humidity and it still has been thriving. Uh, so I think a really forgiving anthurium is a good place to start. And I would say the Vici is where it's at. Okay, I shall bear that in mind as I attempt not to buy any more <laughs> plants. Although, you know what? What I love about the plant community is that people send me stuff. I'm, I do some lovely swaps and I also get sent things by people, which is amazing. And I do like to, you know, as, as much as possible to, to do swaps. And it brings me great joy to, to receive things and also to give things. It's a really good feeling to pass that on. And I love the idea of your plants from your plant purge now hanging out in all these other homes around your state and, and no doubt the, the rest of the US. Have you heard any feedback on how your plants are doing that you've uh, purged? Uh, so the purge is very recent, so people haven't had much time to grow them, but I have had a lot of people just get so excited about having these plants. Some because they are rare plants that I I intentionally sold these plants at a much cheaper price than market price just to offset the the insane pricing right now in the market. And then there are some people who I think just have a sense of of me and who I am and and the love that I put into my plants. And so I think that made them feel excited to have them. So yeah, there's definitely been a lot of great feedback, but as far as growth goes, they haven't really had them long enough yet to see much growth. Oh, time will tell. I'm sure that much love will be poured into them and they will be doing really beautifully. Well, Travis, it's been amazing to talk to you. It's been a wide ranging conversation. I hope you, my sort of slightly curveball questions were okay. Totally. <laughs> but um, it's really cool to talk to you. And I mean, there's so many more things I'd like to talk to you about dance about oh so many more things but it's uh it's it's just wonderful to have this chat and as ever i'm just learning so much from uh others in the plant community and i hope that will will always go on because that's what's so wonderful and refreshing that there's just so much incredible knowledge and information and fun out there. And that's another aspect of your work that's just so refreshing. I can always smile when I come and look at your Instagram. So thank you very much for joining me today, Travis. Jane, thank you so much. And I've already told you this, but this is a really special moment getting a chance to talk with you because when I first started my journey, um, especially in the first year, 
Jane, I played your podcast like every day, all the time. So, so I'm very familiar with you and your work, and I appreciate you so much for choosing to have me. Thank you for for that compliment. That's very nice to hear. I'm terrible at accepting compliments, but I'm going to accept this one with grace and say thank you very much <laughs> because that means a lot. And um, it's lovely to make this connection. Thank you so much, Jane. If you want to find out what that book about the biology of flowers I showed my daughter was, or more about that sparkly spider brooch, or indeed the picture of Travis with his philodendron pink princess, head on over to the show notes now for all that information and more. And now it's question of the week, which comes from Colette. And Colette is looking to move house and wanted to know what would be the best orientation of a house for growing houseplants. Colette's house is currently west-facing at the front and east-facing at the back. Colette writes, Obviously for a garden, south-facing is great, but I would worry about the north-facing aspect of the living room and bedroom being too dim for plants. Am I worrying too much, or is there some sort of ideal medium? Any help would be fantastic. I love this question. It's a really interesting one to consider, even though most of us obviously can't choose the orientation of our house or choose a home solely based on the suitability for houseplants. It's definitely worth thinking about light when you are considering what your house is like for plants. I would say that east to west is probably the sweet spot for houseplants because there are so many that don't like really full-on sun that you get from a south-facing window and would do better in an east-slash-west orientation. That said, if you're into cacti, I'd probably say north to south would probably be better. Why does orientation matter? Well, if you think about the sun's movement across the sky from east to west, if your house is south-facing, then generally it's going to get the most hours of daylight. If your windows are south-facing, they're going to get the sun for many more hours of the day than a north-facing window and the sun's going to be shining directly in. East to west, well, east-facing windows tend to get the sun in the morning and west-facing windows tend to get the later afternoon sun. And that afternoon sun does tend to be a bit stronger. So in the kind of hierarchy of orientation, if I can put it that way, we're probably looking at south as being the sunniest, then west, then east, then north. But it does depend on the size of your windows. If you're living in an ancient cottage with tiny windows, then an east-facing window is not going to offer the same amount of light as an east-facing window in a brand new apartment block that's got floor-to-ceiling windows. If you've got things like Velux windows in the roof or glass-roofed areas or just really big windows, that will massively help with your plants. And I must, of course, add that if you're living in the Southern Hemisphere, all of what I've just said is obviously completely wrong and is, in fact, the other way round. I'm sorry if there hasn't been much help to those of you in Australia, New Zealand and elsewhere. But yeah, just flip the script and the same principles apply. My house, in fact, is north to south and at the front uh, is you've got a nice big bay window which gets the sun all day and then at the back is north facing but I'm lucky enough to have a glass roofed conservatory there so the other thing to look out for if you are scoping out new properties is deep windowsills I think are always fantastic and I say that as somebody who has hardly any windowsills in my house how did I choose this house eh Um, I guess there were a few other considerations other than my house plants 
It's great if you've got some sheltered areas that are covered over but outside. So porches, covered balconies, covered patios are great for so many of the cacti and succulents that we love. If you're in a temperate climate, many of those can stay in a really sheltered spot. The agaves, for example, will absolutely love it out there. So you can have something that looks kind of cool and full of succulents without actually having to bring them in all winter. Depends on your climate though. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously speaking to people all over the world here. So look at the spaces that you've got and the light levels you've got and then that's how you decide what plants you want to have. But if I was looking for a new home and looking at orientation in an ideal world, as I say, with my the kind of plants I grow, east to west would be probably my preference. If you do end up with north facing rooms, well, obviously you can add grow lights, but also there are lots of plants that will do reasonably well in low light conditions. And do check out my episode on low light plants for more info on that front. I do hope that helps Colette. And if you've got a question for On The Ledge, do drop me a line. On The Ledge podcast at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch. up this week's show thank you to my guest travis for joining me and to all of you for being lovely lovely listeners i love you all have a great week remember to keep moving keep breathing stay hydrated and keep your plants close bye you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, Rasham Pidity Bacara by Samuel Corwin, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit my show notes for details.